0: Hey, good to see you all, Um, good to be with you. I come from a far away land known as Winston-Salem, and uh, which feels like it's somehow on another side of an enemy border from from Greensboro. I don't know why that is. Uh, Seems nice over here, everyone seems nice enough. Do you have a nice airport? I got a car from the vending machine in Greensboro once. That was my highlight of Greensboro. Um, before I was working at Wake Forest, and before I was at Redeemer, I was an REF campus minister at Appalachian State. Uh, do we have any Mountaineers in the in the house? Let's go. I know two of these Mountaineers, Danny and Mary Beth, because they were part of our REF group at Appalachian, and so it just feels really good to know that they're in good hands here um, with y'all. Are there any Deeks in the house? Also, one. I see that hand. <laughs> I see that hand. Wake Forest isn't big over here. Okay. Um, it's a big deal in Winston. I don't know if you guys knew that, but it is. Um, so it's great to be with you. Um, I've been thinking about y'all. I'm praying for you a lot. I almost hired Harrison for another job, and he wouldn't have come here, so you're welcome um, for that. But And also just appreciate um, the prayers. Uh, in our prayers just now, we were praying for lots of places but one of those places being syria um which is where our passage happens this morning and also where my uh dear friend hanan um is from she's from syria and she and her four children they live in winston and um her husband was killed and um they were in a refugee camp in turkey for eight years being treated really badly and now they're in winston and so your prayers for syria she's just been devastated Um, They're from Aleppo, which basically got devastated by a war and then just got hit by an earthquake. And so um, that's someone and her children who I I care deeply about. So I'm really grateful that you guys are praying for her and for them. Um, She's a very committed um, Muslim. Obviously, she's from Syria. And um, when I think about this passage, um, I just think about how unlikely it feels that she would ever become a Christian because she's lost so much of her identity and her home and her people and it feels almost like becoming a Christian would be to lose the last bit of her um, even though I desperately want for her to know God and it's in that tension and then that sort of unlikely tension that we uh, we come to this passage but before I jump in I want to take a little bit of my time and, and pray um, for y'all if that's okay um, Lord thank you um, for this place and um, Lord, you know, uh, every single person here, um, you've made each of them, all of these sisters and brothers, you've made them all in your image and in your love, and you know them completely, Lord, you know them better than they will ever know themselves. And Lord, you have been loving and pursuing each of us each day of our life. And Lord, we just acknowledge that before you. Um, We acknowledge that you're real. And that you uh, are at work. And so, Lord, I thank you for all of these stories in this room. Um, None of these stories is exactly the same as another. And so, Lord, we all come to this time um, with longings. Um, And also, we come to you with barriers to your love And we just pray, Spirit, that you would be with us. I thank you for Hope Chapel. Um, And Lord, uh, I pray for this place in a season of transition. And um, I won't hazard a guess to what it feels like. um, But pray that you would be at work here, um, that you would bring shalom. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, yeah, it feels unlikely that, that Hanan, my friend Hanan would become a Christian. Um, but, you know, it feels really unlikely that a dead person would come back to life again. Um, but that is the, some of the realities that we're confronted with when we come to Jesus and the Bible. And uh, there's a band called The Hold Steady. And they have a song um, called How a Resurrection Really Feels. It's a great song. You should listen to it um, about a girl named Hallelujah who seems very unlikely that she would ever be a Christian. Um, But when I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking, if that song's called How a Resurrection Really Feels, uh, this passage I guess we could call What a Resurrection Really Looks Like. Um, Because a conversion, someone converting and becoming a follower of Jesus, is really just as unlikely as someone coming back from the dead. And in really... that's really actually kind of what it is. And so as you've been uh, studying together this book of um, the acts of the apostles, um, and you've been looking at how God is at work to bring Shalom, to bring peace, to bring healing. um, This story is such a beautiful example of someone who is actively violent toward God's people being brought to a place of love and peace. The person, Saul, that our brother was just reading about from this passage, this guy, people in the Bible are, are, several things are always happening in the Bible. People are always getting their name changed to a name that sounds strikingly similar to the name they had before. Sarai becomes Sarah. Abram becomes Abraham. Um, uh, Saul becomes Paul, so it's easy to remember. And um, my man writes like half the New Testament. And he was like straight up murdering Christians before this, which is pretty... Uh, impressive. Also, people are always getting let down in baskets out of windows, um, and having babies when they were like 90 years old. It's crazy, crazy stuff. Okay. Um, so, as we're looking at what a what a resurrection really looks like, or what a conversion looks like in someone's life, um, and there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's there's the outline. You have it. Okay. The beginning. So this guy Saul, um, he's not just ideologically. Or theologically opposed to Christianity, um, he is viscerally um, abhorrent to uh, or just disgusted by the idea of Christianity. He's a hyper religious person, and there could be nothing that would be more offensive to him than someone saying that someone was God's son. To say that God would have a son is just would be to fly in the face of everything holy and good. And so he's committed himself to stamping out these um, fellow Jewish people who have said that this Jesus is the Messiah, that this person is God's son, that he actually came from God. Um, a couple chapters before this, he is approving of an execution holding people's jackets while they stone a man named Stephen. And now he has official letters from religious authorities saying that he can kidnap people and um, bring them in for the same fate. And he's in Damascus, which is the capital of Syria to do just that. So you could say he's obviously, he's not neutral on Jesus. Um, He is anti-Jesus. And yet, as he is traveling along the way, as he is at the height of his powers of opposing Jesus, he is met with this light. A light shines from heaven around him, and he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice um, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me and I don't know what your, your thought would be if you were blinded by a light and someone said, yo, why are you bothering me so much? And you're like, who even are you? I don't know. Um, he says, who are you? And he says, I, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Um, there's a couple of things that are really interesting and beautiful about, about that. One is that obviously Saul doesn't see himself as persecuting Jesus. Jesus isn't there physically. He's persecuting these followers of Jesus, but... Jesus is so identified with his people that to persecute them is to persecute him. Um, But also it shows us that this persecution that that Saul is doing is about God. That even though he thinks that he is stamping out a uh, a heretical religious movement, he's actually being motivated by an anger or resentment or bitterness toward God Himself, I mean. Imagine that you're that you're Saul in this moment, and you're like, these people they think that Jesus is the Son of God, and we got to put an end to this. And then Jesus talks to you, and you're like, oh, whoops, you know, whoops. Uh, he is. It's like that M and M's commercial, you know, where they like see Santa, and they're like, he is real, he does exist, and they're like, he anyway. He's, it's an old M commercial. Um, it's still on. Okay, um, but there part of what Paul is showing or Saul is showing is that there is something in us, and Jesus speaks to it in Saul, like "What you are persecuting me." There is something in you that is driving you in opposition toward me. Um, you know, we all have anger and jealousy, and resentment, and bitterness, and, and envy, and I think that when we're honest with, with ourselves, doesn't it feel like that is kind of like comes up from within you? You know, sometimes we think that like, me and my wife always say this, um, it's like, if I say, you're making me really angry, she says, well, I can't make you angry, I'm just revealing that you're a deeply angry person. Um, and that's correct um, these things flow up from within us part of our sort of native um, operating system is these realities of, of anger and bitterness and resentment and, and envy that there is a there there is a um, an opposition to God that's baked into us and in some ways I know that can feel like kind of heavy like, oh, we have Christians thinking there's something wrong with, with humans. I remember, like, when I was, I didn't become a Christian until I was an adult. And the profound relief that I felt when someone explained that to me. When they were like, no, 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 actually, on the inside, you're you're oriented away from God naturally, and so is everybody. And I was like, whew, that makes a lot more sense than how I was thinking about it before. Um... And, and that opposition to God, you know, for, for Saul, it looks like being very zealous um, religiously. It might look like an open hostility. Before I was a Christian, I thought that, I thought that Christians were, like, just the dumbest people on the planet. Um, just, you know, you can't deal with your problems, and so you need to, like, put them on God. Or you are, you know, you're hoping for this afterlife, that it's a fantasy. Um and so it might look like open hostility um or it might look like arranging your life in a way where you just never need god you don't ever have to depend on god for anything um, because you already have everything you need so he can just leave you alone that can look very religious like going to church if i do all the things god says to do then i don't have to deal with him he doesn't have to deal with me and we just go on with our lives um, I was watching this stand up the other day whose name I can't remember. I tried to remember. Um, but he is an agnostic person, and, uh, but he's really funny about it. And, um, which is, you can be whatever as long as you're funny about it. Um, but he, he he was laughing and he was saying, you know, he's like, you know, to be a, you know, being an atheist for me, like, it's just, uh, he's a white guy. He was like, it's very kind of a privilege to take. You know, someone's like, hey, can I interest you in the afterlife? And you're like, uh, no, I'm good. I can be with what I got. Thank you. know, Give it all this up for that. I uh, said, no, I'll, I'll just take my supplements and see what happens. Um, but, you know, we have this opposition toward God in us and, and Saul showing it pretty clearly. And Jesus is honest with him. Like, hey, dude, you're, you're persecuting me. And part of what is amazing about this passage is that Jesus meets Saul and has this encounter with him at sort of the height of his opposition to Jesus. Like, Saul hasn't been slowly considering the truth claims of Jesus for, you know, like a couple years. Um, He wasn't softening his heart toward, toward God. Um, He hadn't been like sort of cleaning up his act and getting his life together and then coming to Jesus. He was actually barreling the wrong way, like full speed. Um, And it's that place that Jesus speaks and has this like, oh, no, he's real moment. Um, God shows up when he is in his most committed unbelief. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I experienced that in, in, in my own life. Um, it's part of the beauty of God's grace to Saul and how God works and brings shalom in the world. Um, we often think that, you know, uh, we come to faith after a series of like moving in the right direction for a while. And when in fact, it's often just this sudden sense. That we have been moving in the wrong direction or we're confronted with the reality of jesus and so that's the beginning of God, how saul experiences this resurrection and so all the people that are around him they hear this voice and they don't see anyone you can just imagine how freaked out everybody is by this again Things in the Bible, we get used to them. But just like imagine you're like walking to lunch and somebody gets blinded and Jesus speaks to them. I mean, you guys have been in church acknowledging all day that this is real and it would still be very, very, very disorienting. Um, but he blinds Saul and for three days he's without sight and he doesn't eat or drink. And so this middle point in in Saul's conversion um, it looks like blindness. It looks like a restart for him. There's also this, this grace from Jesus for Saul in this moment um, of like, this is, this is a lot. Because literally everything that you committed your life to, to this point, um, you have to suddenly reevaluate. I mean, it's, it's I, it, again, it makes me think about my friend Hanan. Like, she's living her life. With her children and her husband and then, you know, a week later she's in a a refugee camp, you know, picking up the pieces and rethinking everything. And I think that part of the grace of Jesus to Saul in this is he lets him not be able to see for a a period. In a sense to like put into his body like this is how blind you have been. Um, And it's okay. Okay but before you start seeing the world again we're gonna sit in that for a minute and just deal with getting ready to see part of the the grace of a resurrection or of a conversion is becoming free to acknowledge that you were wrong um free to acknowledge that you were moving in the wrong direction actually free to acknowledge that Someone doesn't make you angry, but they in fact just reveal that you are a deeply angry person. Saul sits, he doesn't eat or drink. He sits in the reality that Jesus is real. And that Jesus didn't just smite him or squish him out like a bug. But has something for him. He's met with him in his love. And this disorient, like the the middle point of a resurrection it's just got to be so disorienting. It's disorienting for him. It's disorienting for the people that were around him. It's disorienting for literally everybody else that hears about it. So God, Jesus goes and speaks to this cat Ananias. And uh, he's like, hey, I want you to go to the straight street to a house of Judas. That's an interesting name, um, if, you've, if you know about stuff. And... Um, And he's like, this guy, Saul, he's praying and you're going to go and you're going to bring his sight back. And Ananias is like, you know, the the guy you're talking about, right? Um, Not a good dude. You know, he's like, this guy has been, uh, he has done evil. You know, he like approved of killing Stephen and he literally has papers on him so that he could like carry me off and lock me up. Um, are you sure you got the right guy? This would be like I don't know if I got Harry Potter people out here, but I'm gonna throw they're out there. Um it's like Bellatrix Lestrange joining the Order of the Phoenix. It's like I don't know about that. Um seems like if we let her in here she's just gonna kill all of us. Um it's like Putin joining like the you know, the infantry in Bakhmut, you know, um in Ukraine. Like Thanos joining the Avengers. Um, this seems like a bad idea at the end of the day. And this is grace. This is grace for Ananias. You know, like, who is unredeemable? You know, this has got, like, who can't I use? Whose loves can't I change? Who can't I bring back from the dead? And change them because this is what's happening for Saul and this is what bears out over the rest of his life is that Jesus is the only one that can reach into a person and say I'm gonna keep you as you are and all of your gifts and the way that your body looks and the tone of your voice and all that and I'm gonna change what you love I'm gonna make it something completely different um, he's letting Ananias see that because Ananias has sort of been with Jesus he's been suffering and he says, but this, this is what I do. I change what people love. This is the love of God that pursues us. This is the, the gracious presence of God in our life is that he changes what we love and then challenges us to say, okay, so, but who's beyond the pale? Who is unredeemable? Because for Ananias and for Saul, the same is true, is that Jesus is the one who absorbs all of that anger and bitterness and envy and jealousy and resentment. He loves us when we hate him. In um, this is love. Not that we love God, but he has loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul said that later. Um, it's unearned. It's when we're at our most lost. And that's grace for, for Ananias. He also freaks out the, the people. It's funny, like in, uh, in verse 24, I wrote that down somewhere. But maybe I didn't. You know, in, in, in verse, oh, verse 23, there's these other like people that were the same kind of religious people as as Saul, and they just pick up where he left off. He was going to go kill Christians, and then they're like, well, now we got to kill him. You know, They don't know what to do. Everyone's disoriented in the middle. And they, Jesus tells Ananias, one of the ways that he comforts him is he says, look, um, you know, he says, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. I mean, Saul would have really not liked non-Jewish people. <laughs> so he's going to go do that and kings and the children of Israel for i will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name the suffering is is unavoidable when jesus comes in and brings us back to life suddenly we can see things and we're presented with things that feel very much like death um you know when we think about his sufferings In 2 Corinthians, he explains some of them. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Um, Oh, sorry, before that he says, uh, been imprisoned, countless beatings, often near death. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's a lot of times to be beaten with rods. Once is enough. Once I was stoned, the bad kind. Um, three times I was shipwrecked three times shipwrecked he was bitten by snakes at least once he doesn't mention that though a day and a night I was floating in the sea <laughs> it's so weird um, danger from robbers Danger from my own people danger from Gentiles danger in the city danger in the wilderness danger at sea danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then I had all the anxiety for all the churches on me. Jesus changed what he loved and it led him to profound suffering. Um, because of God's grace in his life. That's what he's facing in this sort of disoriented, blind moment until Ananias comes and places his hands on him and he sees and he starts to learn. And then he goes into the synagogue. This is the the sort of end point or what happens, I guess, as a result. He goes into the synagogues where he was about to go find Jesus' followers and drag them off. And he says immediately, he's the son of God. He starts declaring that Jesus... The, the thing that would have been the most distasteful to him before he is now the one that is declaring that, it's so unlikely. This isn't like it happened over the course of a decade. It's like that happened over the course of three days. How this this, this amazing breaking end of God's grace and the power of Jesus into his life that completely reconfigures where he's going. I mean, he lost his reputation his accolades, his pride, his future, his identity, his career, his family. I mean, it's, it's, it's traumatic to think about what he went through and what he is bearing up under in all this if it isn't real. Um, he talks about this in, in Philippians chapter 3. I'm not texting. I have my, phone, my Bible here. Um, This this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. This is what we'll kind of bring this down here. He says, look, I have reason for confidence. If anyone thinks they have more reason, like for religious confidence, it's me. I have more than them. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee, the most committed, most respected, most respectable sect within his people. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You couldn't catch me on any part of the law, but I love this. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, My Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. He's saying literally everything I lost was worth it and I consider it garbage compared to, to knowing jesus the jesus that struck him down who blinded him who said he was going to suffer there was something about jesus to him that was literally better than everything else that he had um and like there's no way that i can stand up here and like or harrison or anybody else could stand up here and like tell you a good enough sermon to like convey that like you just have to actually be with jesus In order to begin to grasp that he's more beautiful, he's more powerful, he's more loving, he's more interesting, he's more mysterious, he's more compelling than anything else that we could possibly have. Jesus put that in him. Jesus put that love in him. He changed it within him so that he said it's worth it the freaking snake bites and floating in the sea and getting hit with stones. He even ends up being killed because it was worth it. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. Um, so I grew up uh, with a single mom. I was only child, single mom and uh, unplanned pregnancy. Um, and my, when my mom got pregnant um, right after high school, her and my dad, they worked together and um, at a pizza place and then oh a baby was coming um and so they got married and then they had me and then it just didn't work it was they didn't even make it like a year and uh, so i grew up pretty much just with my mom i probably i've talked to my dad two times in the last 20 years okay he got remarried has another family and that is his world which sucks um but the last time I talked to my dad, so my wife, her parents are married, so she kind of doesn't know what it's like. So when we were having our first daughter, her name is Georgia. She's now 12. Um, can you believe that, Danny and Mary Beth? She's 12 years old. She's in sixth grade. Deal with that. Um, she's in middle school, and it's going okay uh, for now. Um, anyway, so when we were pregnant with Georgia, um, s- my wife Sarah Jane was like, you should really call your dad. And I was like, should I, though? Uh, and she was like, yeah, you should. And she was like, give me all this Christian stuff. And so I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. So I call him, and uh, it, was, it wasn't a great conversation, um, and we haven't talked since. But part of what he said on the call was, you know, what happened with your mom was the worst mistake of my life. And, you know, that sucks to hear because I'm like, well, that's me, you know. I'm the worst mistake. I'm like, I'm like, I'm the fruit of the worst mistake of your life. This is great. I'm so glad I called you. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I, I I mean, I get what he's saying. Um, Yeah. But I think about that and I think about it. I think about what my mom has always said, you know, because she was the one that was always there, you know, raising his kid. And, uh, you know, she said, you know, what happened with your dad? She's like, it's hard. Um, but she would always say like, I would, I would never trade it, you know, like I would do it all again because I got you, you know, and for her, it was worth it. You know, the loss of whatever future was before her, she would, and being like, you know, left by this, the other person, you know, to her, it was worth it. Because she said, I got you. I mean, that's what Saul is is saying. It was worth it to have Jesus. Um, that Jesus gives himself. That's the, the thing that's worth it is just to be with him and to know him. And for, for Saul, losing it all was worth it. And he got that from Jesus. And we're going to go to the table in a second. So I just, Jesus is is the one, he tells this story and he's talking about himself. Someone's walking in a field and they find buried treasure. And then they go and they sell everything that they own so they can buy that field. So they can have the treasure. That's Jesus. I mean, he gave everything, his own reputation, his own family, everything. His own body, his own safety. He gave it all up so he could buy that field and get his treasure, which is you. In Hebrews, it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What's the joy, y'all? It's you. It's Saul. It's the unredeemable person. So your truest you is the you with Jesus. Part of what I love about Paul is that he didn't stop being Paul. All of the like parts about him, God just said, I like all that stuff and it's killing people right now. So let's take away the killing people part, replace it with the Jesus part, and then use all that same stuff to go over here and bring many people into knowing God's love. Um, Sometimes we think we have to stop ourselves to be like true to God, but he wants to redeem all of those gifts and make them somehow perfect. Um, yeah. And I will say, um, that's it. Um, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll add this story too. Cause you don't know me. And this is probably maybe one of the only times you hear from me. Um, cause that sounds, uh, like that sounds fine. Um, but it's true. It's real. Um, when I was in high school, again, I told you I didn't like Christians, but I love Nine Inch Nails, um, the band and, uh, and I still do. And, um, my friend who was a Christian was putting on like a, like a show. I played in like band, like hardcore bands and stuff. And, um, he was putting on a show at this like Christian coffee shop. And so I was like, cool, cool, cool. Can I, can I get on the bill? And he was like, yeah, yeah, great, great, great. And so me and these other friends, we played some songs. And one of the songs we played um, was a song called Heresy by Nine Inch Nails, in which the refrain is, I'm sure you guys all know this song, but um, is, God is dead and no one cares. If there is a hell, I will see you there. Um, and my friend, they like pulled the, they turned off the breaker. Um, and I'm like, thinking about it now, I'm like, that's funny. That's funny. You know, um, I was like, I was like, these people need to hear this. And then like, here I am. Um, (laughs) so, uh, it is real y'all. Um, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Um, that you are real, that you're at work. I probably took up more time than I was allotted. Um, I pray, Lord, that you by your spirit would come, that you would um, show us beyond our ability to sort of wriggle out of it or to explain it away, that you are real, that you are intent on bringing peace to this world, peace in our hearts, peace in our families, peace in our cities. Um, You are intent on your love reigning, a love that is sacrificial and real. So I pray for my sisters and brothers in the room, some of whom are trying to figure this thing out with you. I pray that you would show up to them. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would change what we love. Lord, we have all our beliefs, but we don't want all our beliefs. We want you. And so, Lord, would you do that by your spirit? Bring your grace to bear that we might be changed, that we might love you, that we might consider whatever we lose to be worth it for you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.